We're going to turn in God's Word now to uh, Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 down to verse 11, and that should be on page about 809 of your, your pew Bibles, um, but it will also be on the screen um, before you as well. And we're going to look at uh, temptation this morning and, and how, we, um, how we deal with it and what we do as Christians when it comes to uh, temptation. So let's read from God's Word, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 down to verse 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall, not you shall worship the Lord your God, and whom only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word this morning. We spoke at the beginning of this year, I think it was, about spiritual warfare and about how we as believers are in a spiritual battle. And I was reminded of this this week, um, last week, when I was at a, a preacher's conference where we were looking at this topic of spiritual warfare as well again. And we looked at it for um, about a day and a half. And after um, a day and a half of different teaching on spiritual warfare and the different places in Scripture where we see it and, and the reality of it, we ended up the, the, the kind of time together with a 30-minute discussion. And it was intriguing to see the divide in the room. It was really fascinating to watch how there was two um, groups of people that happened when we went to the discussion after hearing, after all sitting under the same teaching about spiritual warfare and the reality of it, where we went to these two groups, where in one group there was two men from Africa, and then in the other group there was nearly every white man in the room between, I don't know, maybe 40 and 50. And it was fascinating for me to watch the, the, the two different groups respond to the teaching in such different ways. That the, the guys from Africa who had obviously lived the reality of spiritual warfare, who'd experienced it and seen it firsthand, where they'd seen the, the devil at work, where they'd seen God move in amazing ways and liberate people who were demon-possessed, real things that they'd seen in their lives. And then, on the other hand, like I said, a group of predominantly white men who were about 40 and 70 years old, or that age bracket, and, and watched them try and respond to this. And what they were doing is they were trying to just make it some sort of academic exercise. And actually, it, it, what it showed me was that, for one, it was a real lived reality. These two guys from Africa who had seen it, they'd witnessed it, they'd experienced it, they'd, they'd seen it firsthand. And then on the other side, it was like an abstract academic exercise. And that's what we tend to do here in the West, is that we try and rationalize everything. 
And actually, we do that from a place of, I don't know how to engage with this, but what I can do is I'm able to do a 30-minute sermon on it. Whereas these guys, they'd lived it, they'd seen it, they'd experienced it. They'd, they'd, they'd seen what had happened. And this is real, though. This spiritual warfare that we go through, we, we, we thought about the spiritual armor of God, that how we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And what we see this morning from our scripture is that we have this tempter, the devil himself, who, as 1 Peter says, the devil, your enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And what we tend to do in the West is just think, well, if only I can, all I need to do is be able to explain my way, and I'll explain my way through it, or be able to teach my way through it. But actually, there is power that God has given to his people. There is an authority that God has given to his people. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, about how we respond to these things. Now, friends, you know my heart. You know that I love the Word of God, and you know that I love, I, I love preaching it, and I'm not diminishing the, the, the importance of preaching the Scriptures. But preaching the Scriptures shouldn't just leave us more intellectually in a better place. It should equip us to respond to what this world is throwing at us as God's people. But it should gear us up ready and get us in a place of, of being ready. We are a people dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We are a spiritual people. This isn't just religious observance that we do here. We are a spiritual people. Our worship should be done in spirit and in truth. Our prayer should be prayed in the Spirit. Everything we do should be done from the place of the power of the Holy Spirit being filled and equipped by Him. And the same comes same is true when it comes to temptation, friends, that we will get to in a moment, that we have this enemy who is out there to tear us down. He's, he's prowling around like a roaring lion waiting to devour. He wants to drag us down and to stop us going deeper into the things of God. And again, this is one of the reasons I want us to look at um, temptation this morning, friends, because I want us to become more mature as Christians. I want us to be able to go deeper into what God has for us and to stay on the, the path of God's will for our life. And what we're going to see in a moment as we look at the temptation of Jesus is that that is what the devil was doing here. He was trying to get Jesus out of God's will. He was trying to get him to fall out of that place of being on the path that God was leading Jesus on. And this is a foundational block that we need, friends, that, that when temptation comes, not if, but when temptation comes, that we are ready, that we're equipped, that we're prepared, that we know how to stand. And ultimately, friends, the, the most important thing that we need to know as believers is that we are already victorious. We already have the victory. Chapters 1 to 3 of, of Matthew is full of divine activity. God is on the move. He's doing amazing things. We see the, the activeness of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see angels. We see dreams. We see God at work and speaking and communicating. And what we need to be aware of is that when God is at work, the devil is never too far away. When God is at work, the devil is never too far away. 
So friends, don't be surprised that as new people begin to come to Sandy Hills, as God begins to do things in Sandy Hills, and yes, we're still in the day of small things, but don't despise that, but God is active here. Don't be surprised that things will maybe go wrong a wee bit. That the devil will try and throw a wee spanner in the works every morning. And often what happens is he can sometimes use people who are even sitting in the pews. Check your hearts. Guard your hearts. Be sober-minded. Be alert. And as we see God at work in Matthew's one, Matthew 1 to 3, it's not a surprise that we're reading chapter 4 of Jesus going into the wilderness. And he encounters this temptation by the devil. Now, in all things, friends, one of the most crucial things for us as believers, the starting point that we need to have is our identity. The starting point for us is our identity. It is of key importance. When temptation comes, when testing comes, when persecution comes, whatever suffering, whatever we go through in this life, we need to know our identity. And it's true here as well with Jesus. It is the starting point. The the verse just before chapter 4, hopefully it will become on the screen before you, chapter 3, verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God the Father affirms his son. This is who you are. Yes, you're going to be redeemer. Yes, you're Messiah. Yes, you're going to liberate. Yes, you're the miracle worker. But you're my son. And I love you. Your identity is of paramount importance. And, And often what happens is that in life, we end up going through suffering. We end up going through hard moments. We, we know that they come. And what should be the case is that I am I'm the beloved of God. He loves me. I'm in Christ. I'm secure. And what that means is that I'm a follower of Jesus who, who, who will suffer. I'm a follower of Jesus who might face persecution. I'm a follower of Jesus who, who might get tempted along the way. But the primary thing is, I, I'm a fall, I, I belong to God. But often what happens is we get that the wrong way around. Oh, I'm a sufferer who belongs to God. Or, or, or I'm someone that, that goes through testing, but I'm, I'm someone who's tested, but I belong to God. Do you see, that's such a small distinction. But, but actually, friends, what ends up happening is it changes where our focus lies. And often what then ha- becomes the, the most primary thing for us is not our identity, but our suffering, or our temptation, or our testing. But your identity, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I love you. You're my son. And as those words are still ringing in the ears and the heart of Jesus, he's led into the wilderness, knowing who he is, knowing the affirmation of his father in heaven. And he goes and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. It's why so many people fall and fail and drift and backslide and disappear. Why? Because they lose sight of their identity. They lose sight of who they belong to. 
my primary identity isn't being a minister or someone who preaches. As much as I love that, friends, we can never find our identity in our gifting. We can't do that. It's why so many people in church circles become so insecure why they get so power hungry and why they can't let things go. Why? It's not because that they're, they're hogging it. It's because they're fearful. If I let this go, who do I become? Who am I? Never, let, never get to that place. Never find your identity in what you do. But find your identity in who you belong to. This is my beloved son. And with this assurance, Jesus goes into the wilderness and as he goes in, we see this parallel that we spoke about last week. We don't have time to go in it this morning, where the first Adam is in the Garden of Eden in perfect perfection, and he's tempted by the crafty serpent Satan, and he falls, and he gives into sin. But then we see Jesus in Matthew 4, who's referred to as the second Adam, and it's meant to stand as a parallel, but also a contrast. That as the first Adam's in his perfection, we see the second Adam in wilderness, He's tempted. What happens? He stands true, though, and he stands firm, and he doesn't give in. And after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, the devil comes to try and get the Son of God to step outside the will of his Father. We've just seen God affirm that he loved Jesus, and Satan wants to smash this relationship up. Why? Because he knows that if he can get in between here, the whole plan of redemption, God's whole plan of salvation history would be thwarted. And Satan comes to him, and look what he does. The father has just said, this is my beloved son. What does the devil say? If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He looks to attack the perfect relationship that Jesus had always enjoyed with his heavenly father. The sonship of Christ is what he's going after here. Prove yourself. Prove you are who you say you are. And we see last week how crafty Satan is, that he comes and he takes something that God has said and he distorts it and he tries to get us to trip up over it. And it's the same tactic here. He doesn't question that he's the son of God, but if you are the son of God, he's so crafty. And often, friends, this is what we see this even sadly today, where people even standing in pulpits in the CFS, that actually they've given in to the craftiness and the lies of Satan, and they've distorted scripture. They've taken the perfect word of God and they've said, well, surely if God was, if God is. And what they end up doing is they end up, we end up preaching a false gospel. That's why we need to know our Bibles. Read what it says. Listen to him. If you are the son of God. And we see the same question and attack that Jesus faces when he's on the cross of Calvary in Matthew 27. As people pass by. As Jesus is hanging on the cross. Where the people passing by even call out that same retort. If you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. It's what the devil was after. He was after the authority that Jesus came with, the perfect relationship that he shared with his father. 
Then we have the second temptation that Jesus, that Jesus faces from Satan, where Satan takes, we see this in verses 5 to 7, where Satan, the devil, takes Jesus to this holy temple and the, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, you know, show that God is committed to you, Jesus. Show that he will protect you. Cast your, throw yourself down from here. Prove who you are. And what Satan does again is he takes verses from Scripture. We see that in Psalm 91. And we read in verses, um, we see that he takes verse 11 and 12 and he distorts it, but let's read 91 together. What we read in verse 9, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample under your foot. Do you see what the devil leaves out? Do you see the bit that he omits? That Jesus that he's going to stamp on the serpent's head, that he's going to trample on the serpent. And what Satan does is he's so crafty, he takes a little bit of what God says and he tries to use it to lead us off in the wrong direction. And what Satan is trying to do here is he's trying to get the son, God the son, to get the, fa the father to serve him. What does Jesus say? I don't come to do my own will. I come to, to the will of he who sent me. Again, the devil tries to get Jesus to step outside God's will. And the third temptation we have is Satan takes Jesus to a very high mountain and offers Jesus the kingdoms of the world. If you just worship me, he says, just bow down before me. I'll give you all this. And what's he doing there again? He's trying to get him to step outside the will of God. Why did he come? Why did Jesus come? He came to save sinners. He came for the road to Calvary. And ultimately, all authority will be given to him through his glorification on the cross. But what Satan's saying is, I'll give you counterfeit glory. You don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. Bow down and worship me and I, I can give you all this. Again, he's trying to get him to step outside the will of his father. But Jesus stands strong and says no. And he stands in his divine authority and he tells Satan to get lost. Be gone. Depart from me. Be gone, Satan. So we see that where the devil comes to Jesus here in the wilderness, he comes to try and get him outside the will of God. He tries to get him to thwart God's plans. But what can we learn here? What are the defense that we can learn from Jesus' experience? Because James tells us in the New Testament that if we resist the devil, he will flee. It's a promise. If you resist the devil, he will flee. It might feel like he's not going to, but I promise you God's word says different. Resist and he will flee. So our defense that we learn from Jesus is threefold. Firstly, we need to be equipped. We need to be equipped. And our equipping begins, as we've spoken very briefly at the beginning, begins with our identity. We start with our identity. If you are saved this morning, it is in Christ that you are. 
If you are saved this morning, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are a child of God, you are one who has been born again, one who has been filled with the Holy Spirit, one who has the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead living in you and dwelling in you. That is of paramount importance. We don't come against the devil in our own power, in our own strength. We come with the equipping of God. You need to know who your heavenly father is. You need to know who you are in him. That full assurance, that confidence that what he says about you, that what your heavenly father speaks over you and says about you, that it's true. This is my beloved son, he says over Jesus. With you, I am well pleased. We need to be a church and we need to be a people who operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. We read at the beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4 that, that actually Jesus is, after his baptism, that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. He goes by the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit. In Luke's gospel, we read that as he leaves the wilderness, he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. The equipping and the the, the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit top and tail Jesus' temptation narrative. That is who, uh, he, whose power we need to go in. That the temptations we go through in this life, they will seek to deter us from God's will and God's path. That's what Satan is doing here. But the Holy Spirit, friends, he is leading us into deeper things that God has in store for us. We need to be filled and anointed and full of the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you prayed, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh? Many of us are maybe running on the fumes, running on empty. Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Equip me. Be with me. That's a daily prayer that we should be praying. And as the Holy Spirit looks to lead us deeper into the things of God, Satan comes and he tries to deter us and lead us astray. Is it a coincidence that so many preachers and pastors who stand up declaring about the bride and the bridegroom, about God and his relationship with his church, is it a coincidence that so many of them fall into sexual immorality and end up having affairs. Why? Why does that happen? Because the devil says, do you know what? You're speaking about this bride. Look at this woman over here. Divert your eyes from the bride and the bridegroom. Look at how good this woman looks. You can have her. You can have her if you want. Sadly, what we see is so many preachers and pastors that they end up operating in their own power and they end up leaving what God's plan is for their life and they end up falling into sin. The Holy, the Holy Spirit needs to empower us as Satan tries to deter us and lead us astray. Satan seeks to attack our identity if you are the son of God. And what's fascinating is that we read that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads Jesus into the wilderness for this encounter. God doesn't tempt us. The Bible tells us that God does not tempt us. God will not entice us to disobey him. 
God doesn't tempt us. But what we do read in the Bible is that he will test us. There are situations that we go through that testing produces faith and produces steadfastness. The same spirit who has just anointed Jesus at his baptism leads Jesus into the wilderness for this. We need to know that God is sovereign. The sovereignty of God is is so important for us that Satan's plans are held under God's sovereignty. The devil is not as powerful as God. He isn't God's equal. Often we see that in movies where the goody and the baddie, they're kind of, they're wrestling and jostling and they're both kind of, that, they, they both have, you know, their trump cards and they both have their, the same sort of power. That's not the scriptures. God is all powerful. The devil is not equal to him. But the devil is his opposite. He does try to lead us away from the things of God as God tries to lead us deeper into the things of God. Secondly, and more briefly, we need to be equipped. Friends, we need to be prepared. We're equipped with the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, but we need to be prepared for when these times come. What does Jesus do? How does Jesus respond in each of his temptations? He responds by quoting Scripture. He responds by declaring verses from Deuteronomy. He responds and he, he goes against what the devil is saying, And he quotes the scriptures. He speaks what God has said. Friends, this is powerful. This book is, see if you don't have a Bible, take one that's sitting in front of your home with you. Because I'd rather you had it in your home and in your hand than it was sitting here gathering dust from Sunday to Sunday. Why? Because this changes lives. This thing changes lives. It is so powerful. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the very heart of man. If only we read it and allow it to shape us. There's a reason why the Bible is banned from over 52 countries around the world. Because it changes people. It transforms people. There's a reason why people risk their lives for this. I mean, Satan comes and seeks to tear you down. Speak the truth of Scripture over yourself and over your situation. Declare it and proclaim it. Defend yourself with the Word. And we need to reclaim as a church what God has given us because we've neglected and forgotten the tools and authority He has given us through Christ. And lastly, we've got equipping. We need to be prepared. We also need to have perseverance. It is tiring being a Christian. It isn't easy. It's hard. It is really hard. And we as God's people have to persist. We have to keep going. But we don't do it in our own strength. Three times Satan comes. Three times. And Jesus is already hungry. He's already knackered. He's already fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's already feeling physically weak. And Satan comes to him three times. And many other times throughout the gospel, we see Jesus being face to face with temptation from Satan and the devil's attacks. Even to Peter in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He's saying that to Peter. Peter spoke something that was against the will of God. Get behind me. And linked to perseverance, friends, is the place of prayer. 
as a people, we need to be prayerful. And we need to be vulnerable before God. God, I struggle with this. Help me not struggle. Friends, what does that hymn say? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our needs and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Bring it to him. Stop trying to do it by yourself. You can't. He doesn't want you to. He's given you everything you need to the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust him. Don't stop. Satan wants to tear you down and lead you astray. But God is saying, I have so much more for you. Keep going. Trust me. Be equipped. Be prepared. And persevere. Know that if we resist Satan, he will flee. In Christ, sin has no hold on you anymore. You are a child of God. Remember who you belong to and allow his power to fill you and stand in his authority and his strength and through the power of his Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you have given us everything we need, that every good and perfect gift comes from you, Lord. And we, we note, though, that we are frail, Lord, and we have weaknesses, and there's things we struggle with. And Lord, maybe even just now we felt really uncomfortable sitting under this sermon, Lord, where we think, oh, if they knew I struggled with this or that or whatever it is, Lord, we, we pray against those things. In Jesus' name, we say, be gone. We speak against addictions in this place and we say, be gone in Jesus' name. We speak against alcohol addiction and we say, be broken in Jesus' name. We speak against pornography addiction in this place and we say, be broken and be gone in Jesus' name. We speak against gambling addictions in this place and we say, be broken and be gone in Jesus' name. Jesus, equip us. Help us to be who you've called us to be. And may we see strongholds tumble down. May we see bondage be broken in this place. May we see a powerful people worshiping a powerful and an all-powerful God. Fill us afresh, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. Remind us of whose we are and who we serve. Remind us whose power it is we stand in. That we are already on the side that wins. And Satan, we pray against your schemes. We pray against your plans. And we say, be gone. You are not welcome in this place. Let your kingdom come, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.